Episode 5. Can you make the logo bigger? I meet with Al in glorious Bradford-on-Avon to muse on how children use technology, demanding clients, and moving your website to HTTPS. So Al, congratulations. You've had a new baby, or should I say uh, your partner's had a new baby? That's true, yes, yes. I didn't go through any of the, <laughs> the pain, luckily. <laughs> yes, very sudden, very quick. Um, so now we have um, a little wren and a little fern. Aww. So that's lovely. Congratulations. Thank you very much. We missed you uh, last month, Jack and I. But I know, yes. Yeah, did a podcast on my absence. So I needed your glue to... to hold it together, but still. Oh, no, no, not at all. Jack did a great job. <laughs> uh, good to have you back anyway. Right, so we've um, today's special podcast. I've actually come down to see Al um, from time to time. We actually meet in person, which is a novelty. Um, so I've come down to um, Bradford-on-Avon. And we've met up, we have a catch up and go through projects and, and just make sure we're aligned on anything and deal with any difficult issues if we need to on, on a client's front and so on. But, so we've decided to do the podcast in Al's garden under an apple tree with a beautiful smell of cider apples about us. It, it, it sounds very quaint, but the reality is much more different <laughs> as I'm in the middle of building a, um, a garden office at the moment, yes. which is kind of living the dream a little bit for home working. Um, so yes, I'm building a garden office down the end there so the, the garden is very much a building site right now you have so. to let us know how that goes because um you've got many challenges with your office not only space but that's i think that's that's workable but also uh, electricity it's getting difficult there getting isn't electricity. Any. yeah so there isn't any <laughs> and and internet is quite a tricky there isn't aspect. there's very little over the internet yeah. so, that's actually uh, probably the easier one oddly i'd imagine to get it, over it here. is it is you, at least you can transfer the internet across the air whereas electricity they, they haven't managed to do that yet but not yet, it'll it. come. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just um, you want to be able to have a system that doesn't actually kill anyone while they're doing it. That's always a bonus. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so special, we're here today face to face, so hopefully it sounds um, better in person. Um, I'll start, Al. Um, Lou, my, my wife, and uh, she copyrighted us um, some copywriting for, for Rather Inventive. Uh, she wrote an article on our site recently. Um, I don't actually have the title in front of me because as nice as Al's garden is, we don't have internet out here. <laughs> but it's about uh, the psychology of waiting. And it's a very interesting article. It was all based on um, another article, actually, by David Meister, I think his name is. And it's looking at the idea of, let's say you're waiting in a doctor's surgery and um, you get there 10 minutes early and you're happy to wait for your appointment, which is at 10 o'clock. But the moment it goes past 10, you are counting the minutes, if not seconds, until they call you. And it's actually very frustrating because you're, um, you're, you're waiting you, and you, you have no expectation about when you're going to be seen. And so her article is really looking at that and what things that we can be doing um, to help people, if there is going to be a wait, what we can do to set their expectations and, and get them prepared. This is why I'm never early for anything. Yeah, is it? <laughs> I'm the person who arrives two minutes after their appointment. You like to make people wait. And that's, and that's well, well, if they want to get there early, that's up to them. <laughs> for me, I, you know, uh, I'm there when I need to be, or shortly after, usually. <laughs> I, I used to be late a lot um, when I was younger. At school, certainly I'd be late for anything. If I had a social uh, event with friends, I'd always be late. I, I, you know, that was part of my, my nature. Well, that's what I believed. I was always late. And certainly when um, with uh, Lou and certainly once we had children, it was more important that I, I be on time for things, certainly yeah. when it's getting home from work. Yeah. Um, and slowly but surely I learned that it was my responsibility to be absolutely on time. So much so that I'm very particular about it now. When I turn up to clients, I am on the dot. Most of the time, yeah. I, try, I like to be there. If I say I'm going to be there at 10, I, I'm knocking on the door or ringing, mm. you know, ringing the doorbell at 10 o'clock to, to get let in because... Um, 
I think it's nice, uh, perhaps if, if anything, just to be a little bit early, but to be on time is, um, for me, something that I, I now have anxiety almost if I'm going to be late. Mm. But, I mean, that's fine. That's something I, I, mm. I deal with, and, you know, that's up to me. But I think on the other side, if you've got a client who's waiting for you, um, even if it's just an impo- uh, appointment, I think it can be frustrating because they go, well, can I, can I leave and go somewhere else? Can I just make this quick phone mm. call? And and I have the same if people are going to have an, um, even just a phone call with me and we've arranged it for 10 o'clock. If they're not calling me at 10 o'clock, I'm, I start wondering what I can do. So what I do now is I'll, if I am going to be late, and that does happen, you know, you, you hit a traffic jam or, you know, for some, just some reason that you, you've got to go a bit sl- more slowly, is just to give them a quick call or a text and uh, under promise as to when you're going to be there. Mm. <laughs> because that makes all the difference. I know that then, from my point of view, I'd be happy I could go out and, you know, make a cup of tea for myself or, or make that phone call or do write that little email that's been niggling at the back of your mind that you need to get done. Mm. Uh, and actually, in some in some cases, many people thank me for that time because then it gives them an opportunity to do something they didn't think they'd had time to do that day. <laughs> so you're actually helping them out. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. But anyway, I'm, sorry, I'm not promoting being late. I no. must say, and if there's anything to do with a client, like a call or something, I usually like to yeah be bang on time for that, or indeed a little early, and and that's great. I don't like to be late or rushed for that sort of thing. But certain things, I will leave until the last. Do you because you you don't drive, so you you no. take train a lot. I mean, do you yeah. find that makes you late a lot because you're reliant I on find other it people? Makes me run quite a lot. <laughs> uh, I have no I'll turn up notice, <laughs> looking very red. Yes, it's important to have footwear you can both presentable and you can run in yeah i always think yeah uh, so I, I have that um but uh, yeah there's a couple of times but yeah um i did read a thing about people who are constantly rushing and stuff it's actually they're much better time much better use of their time but some time managers because they're not wasting time sitting on a platform <laughs> looking at their watch i like to get to the platform the train's there i yeah, just run uh, on it you know what i'd love that <laughs> if i could trust that that would actually be yes, okay. absolutely. quite a few times to be the, the beeps of the door i'm on you know great i haven't wasted a moment <laughs> yeah, but your heart's going like the clap. Well, I guess, guess you get exercise uh, you know, in life, isn't it? Um, I mean, that, that's obviously being having a physical presence, but there's also things like we do obviously build websites, and so there yes. is an expectation about when that will be delivered. Mm. And I mean, that can you know, you might have a delivery date of X week. You don't usually have a particular day. I mean, sometimes you might do if it's important. Um, but I think it's important to set the expectations. If you can't deliver it on a particular day, or if you aren't going to be late, there's no point waiting until you're late because yeah. that will make people angry. But often people are sympathetic to um, additional programming that needs to be made or design work, mm. especially if their client has been part of that process. Mm. So if you if you set the expectation maybe a couple of weeks before that you're just not going to hit that deadline due to this additional work, I think that's final round. People are usually accepting. And if not, yeah, then they know, well, you've got to pull back those additional items that, that were going to be added. Yeah, I mean, like a website, like anything you're building from scratch, how many, in, in any uh, industry, how many things really come in exactly on the day that they were planning on coming in not many things because a mantra i've always sort of said is that you know the beginning the beginning of a project is when everybody knows least about it yeah and that and that that's ironically the time where you're setting all of the things all of the objectives and all of the dates and all of the schedules and all of the, the timings and everything like that at a time when Nobody has really any idea. Yeah, and I think it's natural to assume that we can predict or control when things happen. Uh, I think it's good to plan. It's good to have an, an idea about when you would like it to happen, but of course, yeah. but then just not be overly rigid about if that doesn't happen. Unless there's something specific that it needs to tie into, but then I'd say try not to tie it into anything else. Try mm. and have your projects or campaigns working independently of each other so they're not... It doesn't always, it's not always going to happen. Yeah. You know, a builder, if, if a yeah. builder's got a long project, then it's going to be 
um, difficult for them to tie in when the concrete gets poured if they haven't dug the hole yet. You know, it's, there are some things that have to happen in Absolutely. a sequence. Absolutely, that's true. Lou's just looking at the the how people feel when they wait and how, what you can do to to make them feel better about that. Um, there was a good example in there that she picked out where he was talking about the high-speed rail link. It may not have been that one, but the idea that runs the same is that they're spending billions of pounds updating this um, oh, rail yes, network. I remember you, this. You know yeah, the one? Yeah, yeah. And they're spending billions of pounds updating <laughs> the rail network, and and all it's going to save people is half an hour to 45 minutes. minutes. It's not, it's it's not, not much. much. But over, what, an hour and a half? It's, it's quite a long, yeah. long journey. So it saves people some time. But he said, actually, it's not saving time they want. If you could make the weight the experience enjoyable mm. so he, his idea was to have um super he's been quite glib about it but have mm. supermodels walking up and down the the train or the platform offering out uh, caviar mm. and champagne mm. um then you would want the journey to be longer i think a lot of people would just like a seat yeah <laughs> you know, it's not much to ask is it? yeah and that's why you know things like wi-fi can be helpful because even if you're having to wait on a train that's being longer at least you can still work while you're waiting yeah that's true. um so it, for, for me it's actually not about the the waiting time that's the problem. It's yeah. just, it's, you don't want people to be aware of the waiting it's time. It's selling the benefits of, uh, in this particular instance. Um, it's a good example of a lot of time and effort and money being spent on, again, physical presence, because you're going mm -hmm. from, I think, you know, like Birmingham area or whatever down to London. Um, I don't know how many people make that journey. But if you were to invest the same amount of money in HS2 in like the internet infrastructure, so it'd be much easier to have virtual meetings. Mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting that face-to-face -face time isn't important. It is. Um, but again, it's just another way around that issue of, mm -hmm. of, of reducing the time. You could spend that money and have incredibly fast internet. And then maybe you wouldn't need to travel so much. Or, or, in, or encouraging um, the companies of this country that actually remote working is okay and actually can yes. save them money and yeah. um, sometimes, uh, I think oftentimes, uh, have more productive staff. I think so. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm bound to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, d definitely check out the article. Um, just before we go on, I'm going to mention our sponsor. It's uh, Be Sociable Book again. And... Um, Basically, this is a uh, an easy-to-follow social media tips and strategy book, uh, which is to get you noticed by the right people and hopefully for the right reasons. It's available on iPhone, iPad and Mac uh, for only £4.99 on the iBook store. So this was written by Helen Caldercott, who is a social media trainer, and me. And the idea was there were thousands of websites, videos, books, tips, how-tos, discussion and argument about social media. Uh, a lot of it free online. But frankly, few were concise and easy to read and some were pretty awful. So uh, we wanted to do something about that. And um, we collated lots of tips together. I think it's about 58 in all. Each tip has a page and there's, there's some samples on our website you can go and have a look at. Some of them are like getting a recognisable profile name, talking to Twitter as a person or stalking your customers on LinkedIn, which I quite like that one. Spent over two years making it. Blood, sweat and tears went into it. And um, it's quite an interesting style with lots of... Uh, images for each category to, to to link with them. If you want to find it, just search for Be Sociable Ben on Google or you can visit our website, ratherinventive.com and click on Social Book in the menu. Go and get a copy. It's only four ninety nine, and it'll just um, it'll be a thank you for, for hopefully this podcast and any other help we provide you. Right, so moving on, we've got a couple of different topics here. One of them is a programme you watch called Click, which I... This is BBC Click, isn't mm. it? I haven't watched it for a while. So yeah. this is about children using technology? It is, yeah. I saw it for the first time the other day uh, when I've just managed to get my smart TV up and running. <laughs> um, and it, when I used to... I watched it years ago, but it was like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's an hour. So, uh, you know, I think that's great. It used to be five minutes on BBC Three yeah. at the darkest depths I mean, of the, the hour. 3am yeah. or something. Yeah. And um, I've always thought there's, there is 
there is a technology program lacking from the current tele- I don't watch a lot of telly, but um, there is a technology program lacking, and not necessarily tomorrow's world. But what about like today's world? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of technology, a lot of people using technology, and I think um, this is slightly off off topic, but um, I, I think there does need to be a kind of not a computer show, but something like that. You know, every day we you know we use new phones. We don't know all the capabilities and all the things they do, um, and how many people get you know um, defrauded online with like phishing mm. emails uh, and just keeping the importance of keeping your browser up to date. All these other things, online safety. You know, again with kids as well. Um, so yeah, I think I think we are lacking a really good like TV show that incorporates all of these things. You know, current sort of uh, thing. But anyway. Uh, well, click, there's an idea. The there's, closest, an, there's an idea, idea Al, for us. Yes. Let, let's move into television. <laughs> I don't, don't think the world's ready for that. Um, but back to Click for a moment, which is, it's a kind of, yeah, pitched at, I guess, techies a little bit. But um, there was just some interesting things on there and things I'd seen on my Facebook feed recently, which were to do with encouraging children in sort of basic programming skills. Mm-hmm. And it was also the idea of kind of augmenting traditional play with the technology side and... Um, I certainly noticed it with my my four year old. Um, you know, they'll kind of use the tablet um, a bit, but but not together necessarily. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and what this a couple of products are being released now, just just the two together, because kids always want to go on tablets and things, and we you know, limit the screen time and stuff, and we kind of try and encourage doing educational games, which the iPad is, is and other tablets are available. It's just great at, at that interaction and the you know audio visual. Think well. We, what do we have when we were little? Etch a sketch. You know, yep. that's like the equivalent <laughs> for me. So when I look at the iPad and I just think, wow, well, like we had an etch a sketch. I know. If, if we had one of those, well, <laughs> I know. And of course, my daughter just takes it for granted. She doesn't know well before iPads, and so she presses something. Things happen. It's amazing. Um, and there's so many, you know, games you can have on it, and ed- educational games too. Have um, you looked at the Tokenbocca series? I, she might be a bit old for it now. No. I wouldn't call them educational games, but they mm. are fun games to play, mm. which are nice. There's there's a really lovely one they've got, which you can build your own this small world. It's like an isometric view. You can spin around, okay. and you can plant trees. You can raise and lower the ground. You can put, and as you put tree, different trees in, or, or water, or different terrain, different animals will come in, and then you can feed nice. them. So you start to learn association between different things and how how animals react together. Mm. I mean, it's not. It's not really teaching you anything, but it's a beautiful way to play and create and do something and see interaction. Mm. I think it's called, is it Tokaboka Nature? I'm not sure. I'll put the link in. There's some lovely games like that that aren't strictly educational in in nature, but they're an alternative to play in a very structured way. But anyway, sorry, I bombarded your... No, no, it's all in the same kind of um, idea. Um, I guess these these things are just taken one level further and uh, you end up controlling something in the real world. So... um, there's a couple of games where you've got the iPad and then you can kind of like program it or get um, enter commands and then a real object in the room will do those things and they're quite nice because they're made out of wood and I think that's really nice yeah. for kids' toys. You know, not plasticky. Um, so there was a big, I think there was a big sheet on the floor and they had, I'm not exactly sure how it worked, but the idea being that you did something on screen and in real life, you know, the robot moves. It's a bit like places. logos. Do you remember that on the BBC? Logo. There's the turtle with the pen in the middle. Oh, yeah. I do, yeah. So you could you could get it to move a certain distance, turn left or right by yeah. a certain rotation and yeah. put the pen up and down. Okay, yeah. Do you remember that? Yes, vaguely. And I remember when I was little, I always wanted one of those tracks things, which is like, um, oh, you could program it. It's, yes. it's like a kind of tank thing. Yeah. I, always, I never got one. They were so expensive. I wonder if they were available now. Probably. Yeah, <laughs> you can probably get, get them. I might get one. <laughs> From Amazon. I think I'll buy one. Um... I always wanted one of those. So yeah, that's like the next generation of those. So. Well, why, why do you think that's interesting for kids and, 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 and then also adults 
Because, liking kids to play because with. there is a separation at the moment of, of like on screen time and off screen time. Whereas this is a bit of both. So you get that touchy feely play with a you know an object, and you get that technological kind of integration. You may not agree with it. I'm a little bit hesitant about the future and all the technology mm. and the, the, the speed of things, but it's not going to go away. No. And so I guess the more you can kind of tie t the two together so you don't forget the real world, I think that's important. I mean, I love things made out of wood, but I also like the technology side. So, yeah. you know, that for me is really nice. It's. I think it's allowing children to appreciate technology and use it in an intelligent way, not just as it's too easy to do, just go onto YouTube and um, watch mindless. I know it's passive. Rubbish. But this is you know you, you're using you know your brain and you're walking around, uh, um, you know using using hand-eye coordination as well. And there's another one that's just kind of the opposite way around from um, a company called Osmo. <laughs> I remember that because it's like my surname, mm. um, and they do it slightly differently. So you control the thing on the screen, but you do it with physical, real programming blocks yep. in front of you. So you have like maybe a go left and you have like a little plastic thing with a little arrow on it and you turn it and you kind of put a number in it and it goes, okay, you want to go left three and then you put another one underneath and you can kind of build up. It's basically what programming is. Yeah, so but it's doing it in this, tangible blocks. Do this. Yes, exactly. And you can kind of get better and clever. Like if this is this, then do this. That's all programming is really. It's, it's a series of commands. If this happens, do that or don't or maybe... It's maybe do it. it no, <laughs> anyway. I, and a lot of the, there's a um, big attention on programming and children and whether it should be part of the syllabus and and I got a book for the boys which was again I can't remember the name. I actually watched her TED talk and it, she she was an interesting character herself, but um, she had an interesting way of talking about programming. So I bought the book that she'd written and it was about she had oh, I've got some birdies above us. An apple that's it tweeting us. <laughs> So she she had a con trying to teach children about programming by having the idea of these different animals. So you had um, the uh, the fox, as in like the Firefox. You had the penguins. You had um, different characters like um, the the what what represent? Oh, it was the mountain lion. I think represented apple or mm -hmm. anyway different things like that. And she had a story where they had to solve different challenges and puzzles as they went through. But ultimately, what's trying to teach you is logic and programming. Was, was Internet Explorer a sloth? Ah, yeah, I'm not sure if that was there. <laughs> and then, yeah, at the end of the book, then it starts going through exercises. You've got a bit of a story to get them interested in the concepts and understanding what the terminology is. And then you've got the concepts. And one of them is to for them to understand what programming is. So you've got to ask your children to say, how can you direct me to um, pour a glass of water? So what do you need me to mm, what yeah. do? You, what steps do you need me mm. to do? And they'll say, um, uh, they'll say, get the thing. You say, what, what thing? What does that mean? So you have to, yeah. like a computer, go, get what thing? Yes. And so what you're asking them to do is speak clearly mm. about what they want to do and think through the instructions, think mm. through everything, every single thing. So really, and, and, and Max was quite good at that in the end. You know, he would say, oh, okay, um, get a glass from this drawer, mm. put it under the tap, yeah. and then turn the lever onto cold. Yeah. And stop once it's full and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because you could say you could turn it on there and it's still filling That's and it's right. and, and you say, could, What do I do now? And you could also yeah, if this happens then do this. Yes. Or if this something like if water oh, yeah. is hot, then then let go. <laughs> it didn't get into those concepts. No, but, no, but that is where yeah, it goes, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. And that's all it is. It's just it's I think that's why programming is interesting, because it's it's getting children to think about things logically and explaining them in concise detail, if you will. So it's it's not to say, Oh, give me the thing over there. Because that that doesn't Okay, I know what you're meaning because you're pointing to it, but try and explain yourself better. Use your words, as we often say to them. 
Um, so I'll put the book in. I'll write a note, programming book. But it's, it's a wonderful little book, nice little story to read and has these exercises afterwards. And then it, it uses, it starts showing programming in a series of blocks using, I think it must be a visual format for representing code blocks and if statements and loops and things like that, mm. all the th sort of things you'd find in programming. Mm. And um, there's another program called Scratch or Scritch, maybe Scratch, which uses this same thing where you can drag and drop these components and loops and, and, and things like that and get it to do funky stuff. Mm. It's very cool. Also related to that, uh, programming, Apple have launched a new app, which they did earlier this year, called Swift Playgrounds. I haven't played with it yet because I think you need a new iPad to use it. But it looks awesome, actually. It, it basically works along the same concepts as this book. It's got a little story, you've got a little monster, and the monster needs to get from place to place. And you have to, first of all, drag in, like press and hold and drag in that you want it to move forward four steps or turn left. And then, then eventually it leads you into typing and then doing loops and things like that. And I think allowing children to... Because computers are unforgiving, really. You know, if you give them the wrong directions, they yeah. will do the wrong thing. Of course. So getting children to think through that, I think, is very helpful. Yeah, oh, definitely. Was there anything else in the programme that sparked your interest? That was the main thing, really. They did also did a thing like with older kids where the, in IT, they just did it all in Minecraft. Really? <laughs> yeah, so the entire lesson was in Minecraft. So now, Minecraft isn't something I... I play at all, you know, and I know it's a popular thing. With They're the not kids, into it yet. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Um, so there was no sheets of paper and stuff or book. Really. It was just all done in Minecraft. So the teacher had set some stuff up in Minecraft before and they were working on, like, logic gates. Yep. Apparently Minecraft's just perfect for this. Yeah, stuff. it does have so a lot of um, logic yeah. stuff. Now. Yeah. You've got you switches got... and electricity. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So it was just it was working out what happens if this is, yeah, like, you know, a NAND gate or a, uh, an OR gate and stuff. And so it was that. So kids were able to sort of build it in an environment that they're familiar with and why not that makes amazing sense and apparently there's a, like an educational version of minecraft kind of being not developed because i think it's already in there but it's just like some maybe some tools for teachers to use mm. um so yeah i think and i think we'll see more of teachers hopefully using online environments that people are using to, to teach there's another one i think it's called roller coaster tycoon or something <laughs> right where you have to kind of build a, a theme park yeah i could be wrong on that name um, I remember Transport Tycoon from back in the day on, okay. on, on my PC. It's very advanced. And again, I saw a bit of it, but it was just this idea of, you know, building, you know, it's, again, it's business skills and it's other skills and it's people skills. You know, it, it's building this this park and have, keeping everything running. And if, you know, if something goes wrong, then you're losing money mm -hmm. and there's not, people are, aren't happy with going there anymore. So it's all this, um, this idea of, um, you know, uh, a whole, it's a whole package of learning it, it, you know, on screen, which kids are happy or familiar to you which is good it's just the balance isn't it, it, it I, is, I think yeah. those sort of games are actually quite good for them to play to, to to get a gist for thinking ahead but but equally you need to have a balance of different games on the ipad and physical things and as well. real life yeah. i mean you do you in, and interacting with people it's i mean you could have a kid who loves playing with lego and reading books but they don't interact with any any other people well, that mm. that can be bad too i yeah, think you oh, need yeah. this complete mix oh, totally agree. of being able to communicate online offline be able to you do I mean, one of our clients, Morel's handwriting. She's um, she's often um, she goes in and trains a lot of teachers on handwriting uh, and how to help children um, do it better, how to improve their grip and things like that. And she says a lot of kids have a problem with grip and they can't. They find it very difficult to pick up small things like pencils or pens because they're not used to using those fine motor skills when they were right. younger, and so it's something they don't really do anymore because I, I don't know what exactly what the reason is. 
um, maybe they're not asked to do drawing, mm. you know, as a kid, or play with crayons, or play with Lego, play with small things, which help you get that control, right. and and also having force to it as well. You know, with Lego, I, I think Lego is quite good because they're small pieces, and often they're quite tough to pull apart sometimes. So, yeah. you know, it's quite delicate to put on there. So there's a lot that's going on, and that all improves handwriting because the the more accurately you can hold a pen, the better. Mm. So for her. Uh, anything that's um, online or offline, where it's a good mixture between using uh, the hand-eye coordination and fine motor control is good. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's excellent stuff, really. So moving on, now we've got a... This is a bit of an interesting one. This is not strictly a question that someone needs an answer to, but it's often a question that you get asked. And yes. it's, what is it, can can you make the logo bigger is the kind way of we're a, summing it almost up. Almost like a rhetorical yeah. kind of question. It just sums up a whole load of... Well, it opens up a can of worms for me sometimes. Um, so um, start yes. your rant. Okay, well, it's, it's not so much a rant. It's just it, I guess it's an observation, and it's just something that's um, just happened a couple of times recently. So it's just um, highlighted in my my mind. But it's just this idea of um, it's sometimes very difficult when creating a website for for people in someone's business, where as a web developer or web designer, you maybe have a certain amount of experience in designing other sites. Mm-hmm. You may have done design or programming or or you know usability studies and all this sort of thing, but yeah, it's an industry where you are kind of still at the mercy of the bill payers' whims, yeah. <laughs> if you will. Not whims, maybe that's, that's the customer is always right. Yeah, maybe it? whims is trivialising it. <laughs> um, you know, there's always that that um, notion of designing a site and, and getting it all made, and then you show it to someone and they say, right, well, I'll just go and see what the managing director thinks. Yeah, and it's sometimes weeks, months already gone by, and then. Yeah. And then, and, and, and suddenly there's this other person coming in who hasn't been involved in all the discussion. Yeah, the and it's not, not from our want, we want them to get involved. We want as many people who are going to have a say to be involved in a project. Yes, I must say this is not recent experience. Uh, this is from uh, years and years ago. Uh, but it's still kind of there. You get a little thing, yeah. Under yeah, the yeah, surface where they come back saying, oh, I, I want it in blue. You know, I, I don't like this orange, you know, or whatever. And so suddenly uh, one person's opinion who may not be, you know, it's not their area of expertise, let's say still able to completely change the, the every you know the, the message and, and the effectiveness of the site which after all it just needs to be effect you know the website needs to be effective for whatever purpose it it's trying to achieve mm-hmm. uh, and whether one person in the organization and that person happens to be the managing director or who, or the accounts person or whoever sort of commissioned it doesn't like it that isn't that important yeah it, it's whether your customers and the people using your site can do what you you need them to be able to do on it. Yeah, it's whether they're going to find they're going to find it useful. Yes, yeah. and and it's happened. Uh, it used to be the same. I used to do print design. It'd be the same with that. It's it's just a, it's a it's just a thing where it gets shown to somebody who who has a who who and this is sort of underlying rule that they have final say on it. And I just so there's not much you can do about uh, it. But they, I well, just don't is like it, it is it uh, <laughs> and and who who's wrong here? How how can there's a couple of different questions? Mm. What what can we do about it? Because it's it's not good for any party to have that. No. Because it, it's going to it possibly will cause conflict. Whose fault is it? You know what can what can we do to alleviate it, make it better? You know, there's certain things you could possibly try, like uh, what we've done in the past, like um, certainly with websites, educating uh, a client on websites, how they work. And going into as much detail as they want. Of course. Um, yeah. Obviously making sure everyone's involved. So if you've got a large company where you've got a few, as they call them, stakeholders, people who, have, who are going to make decisions on it, to, to bring them all together and say, Look, let's get it all out there and I'm going to help you understand what we're trying to do, what we believe your customer's trying to do, and then you can help us fit that together with your um, internal knowledge, really, and your, your domain expertise in whatever they 
whatever their business is. And I found that helps a lot to educate the customer because they trust you more, because you've, you've maybe covered a lot of their queries before you get to them. Or, or they're more willing to listen and, and, and talk about those those particular ideas. I don't mm. like blind trust either. I mean, if someone is, isn't is sure about something, I, I, I'd rather them put their hand up and go, I'm not happy with that. Can we go through why that's a good idea? Mm. Rather than go, well, yes, do what you think. And then it comes to being live and they're going, well, I didn't, don't like it. I'm never happy with it to begin with. That's well, worse. There is an element of, of collaboration. Of course there is, because you don't know everything they know about their business. You just don't. But, um, I mean, we're quite lucky in that we work with quite small businesses, so there isn't that other person that suddenly comes into the frame. Very rarely. Oh, you know. Um, but it does, you know, I guess it must happen on bigger bigger projects. And, you know, you have this sort of stakeholder management and you have project managers who will keep all the stakeholders in the loop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But I think any one of them at any point could still sort of throw down their, you know, authority and say, no, I want it to be like this. So if that happens, is it is it the responsibility of the designer to go, no, this... Well, this is question. this is my rationale for it. It really, I think it depends on a few things. Trust, which you brought up a moment ago, trust mm-hmm. is extremely important. Um, but also, like you say, um, should should you, as a designer, be able to say no? Like, should you be that bold or brash to sort of the person who's paying you to do this? You say you paid me to do this. You you trust me with this. I'm I'm right about this. Yeah. Unless you can prove otherwise. You can show me some other evidence, <laughs> and I, I agree to. I, I agree, but then part of me think feels that's arrogant. Some of at course. some point that can be seen as arrogant, and yeah. it is arrogant yes. because you might be wrong. Oh, of and course. and you know maybe we think oh we might be wrong about this. I'll defer to the client, but the client is only the client may just be more confident about their decision. They they're not necessarily right, but because they're just work, more confident yes, about it. Because you're working for them, yeah. they are the ones in control. Yeah, in the boss. Um, I did. I, I worked. There was a project I know of a friend of mine. Um, who worked on a big project, and their web guys did have everything. Every major decision they made, they went out and did a usability study on it and had research on it, so that when those people did come back and say, "Oh no, this isn't working," they say, "Well, here's the evidence to show it does work. Do you have anything? <laughs> do you have anything that, other than your own opinion that shows?" And in a nice way, you know. And so they, that I guess also reassures them that they are right because it is a lot of guesswork. But you do have to ar- arrive at something. Yes. at some point yeah. and if you keep sort of changing it you're never going to get there it's better to have something than nothing yes. and work from that and evolve it um, I think so that helps with the way we, we build the sites that we do evolve them so it's not a ta-da moment it's live here you are Course, um, yeah. And certainly, I, I most of the time, people are not surprised by the site. You know, it's it's what they're expecting. It's in line with their thoughts. And if there were any surprises, we dealt with them long ago. Most of the time. Most most <laughs> of the time, yeah. Of course, because uh, the nature of things in web design, uh, websites, you can change things. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that uh, almost gives people the green light to change things because it look, it looks easy. Yeah. You just change. You just move that from there to there. You know, and in a responsive site where there's a lot of work going behind the scenes. So this is uh, a, a site where you can resize the browser yeah, and, it, and it flows and really changes flows to make it fit. And correctly. maybe some things go away because yeah. they're not as important on a mobile. All of those things. And someone throws at the end, oh, well, that block needs to move down there. That's a potentially really big yeah. a knock-on effect, like a domino, pack of dominoes. Uh, so it can be hard to, you know, it might look easy to move. It, it, it might not be. You it know, be. I, there, I there's know. often <laughs> a rule that seems to hold true is that the... Um, the easier it seems to do, the more difficult it actually is. And that some things yeah. clients think are very expensive and costly to do, you go, that's fine, yeah, I'll just flip a switch and it's done. Yeah. I mean, a simple style change, you know, that's going to be quite simple, colours and yeah. things. 
but yeah, other things maybe not so. <laughs> yeah, I remember that, and this was from a while ago. This was um, back in the day when Steve Jobs was just starting uh, a new company. He'd been driven out of Apple. He's starting a new company called Next. I, and I can't remember who the designer was, but he approached the designer and Steve was talking about, so how are we going to communicate revisions and, and that sort of thing. So he's trying to set expectations with the designer and the designer said something like, no, I will deliver your project and you will pay me whether you like it or not. And so what, he was um, he was a famous designer. I should be able to remember his name, but I'll, I'll put a link to the story. <laughs> and so basically he was saying to Steve that um, you've seen my work. You know my portfolio. You know what we can do. The design's going to be custom. If you don't like it, you still have to pay me for the work. You know, I'm going to do the best I can for you. Mm. And there is an arrogance to that. But I think yeah. in some ways, it's obviously held true. For it. it's, work, it's worked for him because that's that's what he does. He produces something. I, I didn't personally like the next logo, but I think it was appropriate at the time. It was probably, probably the 80s, I think, when it was very... Um, was it red, yellow, and blue? I can't remember exactly, oh, but gosh, remember. it was. Um, I, I didn't like the logo at the time. I don't, mm. but this, but isn't, this isn't next to the, the high street chain. No, no, not <laughs> next. It was ne next step. Yeah, yeah. Next step. they did a whole program. Or was thing. next step their software? I can't remember, but uh, the I'm sure it was that they had a whole like programming. Yeah, it's basically system. it's basically it's all, all of that stuff he did under next is basically what our iPhones and, and modern yeah. Macs are based on. Yeah. All of that, all that technology, yeah. all the old Mac stuff are gone. Incredible. And um, when he came back in, Incredible, but um, but what um, I found interesting is this is this confidence from the designer, the the um, logo designer to, mm. to say that, and to someone like Steve Jobs who that's, was still he was very well known at the time. That's what you call a sweaty phone call, isn't it? Well, yeah, and this was in <laughs> this was in person, I think. Okay. Um, <laughs> Some of the other things that sort of go hand in hand with this maybe misunderstanding between how things work is when people are briefing us on how they want their website to look or, or indeed when they're looking at something and they feel something's missing and they talk about wow factor. Mm. And I, I personally don't know what wow That's factor is. <laughs> yeah. I, I understand what the client means when they say that. But I just think I want them like, like psychedelic wow. Yeah, I mean, we, we can make it wow and it's going to get on people's nerves. <laughs> It. Yeah, they're going but, to go. Wow. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> what what is wow? You know, mm. it's a really difficult concept, and I, and it's not that I didn't understand what they, some of what they wanted to achieve, but I think I, just like we we're talking about earlier with logic and getting children to explain things more clearly, I think in this case it's just getting people to explain more clearly what they mean by that. It's exact. It's very similar to like the, the can you make the logo bigger question, yeah. because that's not actually what you want to do. If you get down down to it, what you want to do is make the logo more prominent. And I've <laughs> the number of times I've like had to like I've explained it like people people say I want this to be bigger. No, you don't want it to be bigger. It's me. Buttons, just, you want buttons to, must be bigger. Yeah, it's not. It's, that's not it. What you want it to, <laughs> you want people to click on it. But you think that making it bigger that's the answer. Yeah. You give me the answer, not the problem. Yeah. Yeah, you're true. You're right on that. I think it is. Um, if I were critiquing something, and I, I try and do this as well as I can. If I'm critiquing something, I will try where possible to say why this doesn't work for me, how mm. I feel about this, yes. and let you come up with how you're going to solve it. Unless there's something very specific, like I really think this would work. Because because often you may come up with a better solution than I will, in most cases. I'll present you with the, what I'm, the problem I'm seeing, because you're close to it, so you don't always see that, and then you'll come up with actually a better solution to it. If at all, it may be, you'll rationalise it back and go, no, this is why I've done it, and go, I misunderstood, yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that's true. As, as long as you collaborate and you know the root cause in, in any situation then you know two brains are better than one as long as the, everyone knows the root cause of the problem you will come up with a better solution yeah. if you're only told a one solution and you're just told to do that that's not 
that's not using everyone's skills. It's not helpful. It's, it's not right. It's something they do in... I was reading a book, and again, I can't remember the name. I'll put the link in. But it's by... Is it Ed Catmull? Mm. He, he was one of the owners of Pixar. Um, maybe he still is. And one of the things they used to do is they, they would hold, and I think they still do, have these um, brain trusts. They call them brain trust meetings. Which is, I think it's a bit of an American term. But basically, it's a regular meeting with um, key people in the business. And they're not necessarily, not necessarily the highest paid people. They're just the people who can offer the best constructive criticism. Mm. And people who are uh, the directors who are producing films will bring in segments of their films or the whole film. And uh, every three months or so, they will show their film and get it critiqued. And their aim is not to give exact direction, mm. but to give you, this doesn't work for me because I'm not feeling, I'm not understanding that yeah. character. Yeah. I don't know why they're there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so basically they <laughs> yeah. come back with a list of notes like that, written like that, which exactly. is, so they get the feedback at the time and they get notes. And that's good as well because you get this verbal feedback, so you get emotion, but then you actually get it in written format, so you get a bit more specific information. That's brilliant. And that's whenever a client says to me something like along the lines of, which give me a solution, I just say, you know, what has caused you to come up with that solution? Like, what is the root cause problem? Yeah. Then go from there. Because there might be a better way to do it, and often there is. Mm. It's like, Okay, I see where you're coming from, and we can do that in a better yeah, way. Yeah, and that that does yeah, that does happen. <laughs> because some, sometimes sometimes a lot of clients might feel they have to solve the problem. Of course, yeah. it's like, well, no, just bring us the problem. Yeah, and we'll solve it together. Yeah, we like doing that. That's that's one of the things we we relish about doing this yeah. sort of work. That's why I I, I kind of like um like business analysis and stuff as well as web design. They do go hand in hand sometimes because yes. you're, you're you're dealing with processes and and businesses and systems a lot of the time, and so getting to the root root cause and root cause analysis even if it's something small like a button <laughs> or a banner it might have a big impact on the, the business if you know you're getting people to sign up and something's wrong with that you need to find out the root cause and then come up with a solution yeah so it's it's being able to understand and then articulate what the problem is for you because again it's pe different people have different opinions it might work for a lot of other people mm. and then being able to articulate that to someone who can then think about how they might change it if at all rather than saying, I need to change this. And the thing is, it's actually more difficult to do it that way. It is more difficult to think about what the problem is because you have to take a bit longer. You know, you can't just go write down your knee-jerk reaction or talk about it. You've got to say, you've got to think about how. But I think that it, it gives a better, it offers a better solution at the end of the day. Okay, anything else on that? No, I think I'm... I think I'm at risk of offending a lot of clients, so I think <laughs> yeah. I'll leave it there. No, no nam <laughs> names were mentioned. Um, just finally then, um, you've been migrating a few sites recently to HTTPS. Uh, why have you been doing that, Al? Yeah. And uh, wow. what, what, you know, how do you do it? Okay, so yeah, I've had a couple of requests recently and, and something we've uh, initiated as well is putting an entire site, and yeah, as you say, under HTTPS. Just uh, for those not uh, familiar with um, HTTPS or SSL or security, it's... Um, it's it's really uh, it's a protocol, which um, what's a protocol? Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, a way of doing something. It's a, a, a way of a, a, yeah, an agreed way of doing yes. something between machines. Yeah, I would say. So normally, when you get a web page, you may and you may see it written down. It says HTTP colon slash slash, uh, and then HTTPS is a protocol which basically transfers everything in a in a secure way with mm -hmm. like an algorithm padlock kind of thing. So you the idea being you can't intercept it. Across the internet, and yeah, you can't. Says. You can't read it. Exactly. Yeah. You'll see them most of all the well, most of the time on payment pages where you're transmitting credit card data. Normally, if it was not a secure page, you someone on the internet would be able to 
perhaps get that information. Mm. But that's um, normally fine, though, isn't it? Because it, because broadly speaking, that would be public anyway, because they could go and view the web page. So, oh yeah, for web pages that are public, yeah, not really an issue. Mm. Like, there's no real reason to secure that information if you've got it in the public domain, apart from a couple of things which we're going <laughs> to mm. talk about now. So one of them is it, it's reassuring to people to see that the little um, padlock at the top mm -hmm. to say it's secure. Something reassuring about that. We you know once you've logged into a site and you see that at the top, it's just reassuring. It's just another reason why you would use that, that mm. site and go back. Another reason is that uh, Google gives slightly higher uh, weighting to, to sites that are all in secure. In their search rankings. In their search yeah. rankings, yeah. I think I've used the right phrase there, so, well, sort of weighting. It, yeah, I notice. It's, 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 in the, it's in the algorithm to look at I that. I think it's if you were um, ranked evenly between two sites were ranked evenly, hmm. the one with HTTPS, uh, the secure protocol, uh -huh. would win. Yeah. So it's um, I, I it's just a contest like that, really. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it, they will give a weighting to it. I'm not sure. I, I know they're doing this, and I know they, they are starting to, you know, do give this weighting. They have been for the past two years or so. Um, I'm still not exactly sure why every single site needs it. Mm. There are definitely lots of cases why um, a lot of sites could, could benefit from it. Mm. But, you know, does my simple blog that I publish on, you know, every couple of months need it? Well... My reaction to that would be, well, no. Mm. But if it does help with your Google rankings, then yeah, yes. exactly. And, and what are the? So you might argue, well, why doesn't everyone just have a secure site all the time? Why is there? Why is there a secure and non-secure version? I guess in the when it was first invented, you know, that's that's has it how it was. Mm. But um, of course, when you encrypt something, it's it, the data is actually there's more data, yeah. so it will take longer to get a web page, and that's a, that's a. A negative. I, th I think also it, it used to take computers. Computers would have to spend processing time to encrypt it that? and decrypt it. Yeah. And internet speed was slow. I think nowadays that processing speed is so fast. And I think the Google's argument is processing speed is so fast, the internet is so fast that it's negligible. It's negligible. Yeah. Why, why not, not do it? I think before, not the case. Mm. Yeah. Um, but still, it's a hassle. M many sites don't have it. No. And, and not all sites it's easy to put on. And it is a bit hassly to do. Mm. It's, it's almost better to do it from the beginning. Like I've kind of retrofitted at like <laughs> SSL or HTTPS to, to sites, and um, sometimes it can have a quite detrimental effect because if unless you do it properly, if there's anything in your page that goes and gets something that isn't also secured by HTTPS, mm. let's say you've got a little image in there that's just linked quite innocently and quite normally, you know HTTP you know, forward slash forward slash you know myblog.com slash image.jpg, mm. and that's still got an HTTP reference. Your browser, and I get a bit annoyed with browsers doing this, <laughs> show the page and then say, this page is not secure. Somebody might be trying to steal your data. And you, that's actually worse than if it just wasn't there at all. Yeah. And that's not really the case. It's just it's loading an insecure asset from somewhere. Yes, that could be placed by something malicious or doing something it shouldn't be doing. Most of the time, it's probably just the logo or something. Well, often it could be someone's got a button from a directory or membership yeah. they're part of, and they copy and paste the code, pop it yeah. in. And then that would have the same issue. Yeah, I remember when there was a Google Analytics tracking code, and that was just always over HTTP. And if you secured that page and you didn't change the code, it would come up with a similar message yeah. saying, you know, this isn't secure, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then they sort of change it so it would actually look at the protocol first and then adapt it, mm. depending, or you'd have to do it yourself. Oh, yeah, source that? method, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I remember having to code that a few times to check it's SSL and load it like this. Um, more often than not, these days, things are... Um, yeah, it can work both ways. People are aware of this, but, yeah. But often, no, and some things are hard-coded with HTTP in, in plugins or in, in other things, and that can do that can do more detriment to your site because as soon as anyone sees anything like, oh, there's a 
something vulnerable on the site, people just go away. They mm. don't really understand that it's it's actually relatively minor. It's there's fine. No, there's no problem. Yeah. So you need to be absolutely sure that every page works, and that's called like a mixed content warning. Mm. You might see it down if you do like um, if you're on an HTTPS page, uh, and but it's not a kind of the green padlock. I'm talking about Chrome really. Mm. Uh, um, uh, it might have a little kind of error message, a little error triangle next to it. Um, if you do like right click and then inspect and inspect it, you'll see under the console it'll say there's a mixed content warning on this and it will show you the exact thing or things that's causing that mixed content warning to splash up and you mm -hmm. need to kind of resolve them. Sometimes they can be really gnarly because they're buried so deep in some other code that you might not have be able to change. Yeah, quickly. you might not be able to change it. So yeah, it, it can be a pain. Um, so how do you go about implementing um, an SSL certificate? Um, the certificate itself, that's something that would sit uh, on your on the hosting. So that's um, against your site or your server, um, but they are assigned specifically to domains. So you would there's certain certificate um, issuing authorities, like VeriSign, Thought, Thorte. Um, Thwait. Is it Thwait? <laughs> I don't know, that's what I call them. <laughs> I think they make those diggers, don't they? Those big yellow yeah. trucks. Anyway, so uh, yes. More likely than not, you'll be able to acquire one through your hosting provider. Yeah, this shouldn't cost too much. I mean, uh, I know they vary between free and maybe a couple hundred pounds. Yeah, and that's a yearly thing which you have to renew. Yeah, and and yet another thing. And it to can worry be a pain about. depending on your hosting. You have to, you have to go and configure that each year. Potentially, I hope. I mean, we've got a host that sort of does that for you, which is amazing. But if you've got your own dedicated server and you have to manage your own certificates yeah. and get the certificate, usually create CSR which is um, a request like uh, a text request and you put it through the issuer and they provide you with the key then you have to do all this faffing around it's a bit of a process it. can be a pain yeah. and if you forget to do it and it expires ah, that's yeah. happened to me a few times yeah, yeah bad and then someone goes to your site uh -uh. Your certificate well, is expired that's the thing and, and actually the, <laughs> the security would still work everything would still be encrypted it's just this message pops up saying this yeah. is f saying that the browser cannot guarantee the authenticity of the you, site. All your details are being stolen. Yeah. Yes. And so that's right actually now. that is worse in some cases. So it is um, worse, yeah. so basically um, to install them, we'd need to go to a certificate provider to buy it, or the host might be able to provide this for you. Mm. And then depending on the hosting setup, you have to install that certificate. Yes. So hopefully people can you know get their hosting company to do it. I would just suggest the hosting company do it. It's just one of those server hosting things that you don't really want to be getting involved no. with or make a mistake doing. No, it's so, a bit yeah. of a pain. And so that's done, and, you know, that that's not, doesn't cost a huge amount of money. And you, you, I think if SEO is a prime concern, I think mm. it's worth looking at doing. Mm. Definitely worth looking at costing it out because there is possibly some labour in there as well. Uh, certainly, you know, someone's time going through checking the site, making sure everything works. But um, so going back to the benefits again, mm. so it's obviously worth it from an SEO point of view to, to review whether that is worth doing. And other sites that definitely need it. I suppose any any site where you're just taking people's data, if it's not credit card data, just like maybe a, you know, a, a contact form sign up thing. It's just reassuring to see that the padlock up there. Again, it's not crucial, but it's just reassuring. No, certainly nice if you're taking more extended personal details like their address. Maybe it's just their name and email. It's not so crucial, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it, it depends on. Um, I know we've done some work for Heritage Council recently, and they they asked us to look at securing things down like that. You know, they're very conscious on. Um, how that works so we were looking at securing it down and, and again it's, it's just to do with how personal information gets transmitted around mm. if you're in for a penny you're in for a pound with it you know you've got to yeah. get everything under SSL everything working and on that note if you do change a site I mean I, I, we deal with WordPress you know a lot and we had that we did one the other day if you do change your whole site to be under HTTPS 
I mean, once you've got the certificate, you can literally go to your site and put in HTTPS and it'll be and it'll be secure. That's really all there is then. But then Google will know your old links, which aren't HTTPS yeah. links. So, and, and it sees it, them as separate um, as separate entities. You know, it treats them as completely separate entries in the database. Yeah. So uh, in the same way as you we covered a couple of months ago now, um, like doing 301 redirecting to when pages change location or you change your domain name. In a similar way, if you start doing all your pages under secure um, layer, then you need to do a similar thing. And it's usually, if you're on Apache or something like that, you just put something on your HTTP access file that um, then redirects all HTTP requests to HTTPS requests on using a 301 redirect. And then Google will eventually get the idea and, and rank your site accordingly. Yeah, hopefully. Find new pages. Hopefully that won't um, dip the traffic too much. I think I they're think aware of what people are trying to do. Yeah. So, th so I think that they... Hopefully they're sympathetic about doing that. I think so. I did read a thing a, a little while back saying that no matter, if you do do anything like that in terms of redirecting, there is always a dip that you cannot avoid. Yeah. So you've got to time it right, really. Like we've got some we've got a client at the moment wanting to perhaps do this, and uh, maybe it's not quite right because it can take months, and it's coming up to Christmas, and they're a kind of Christmas seasonal kind of business. So, yeah, just got to time it right. Yeah, can we wait? Yeah, is it a sensible thing to do? I'll <laughs> see if I can put some information find a blog link to some uh, you know that explains this in a bit more detail it's worth people investigating as to whether they want to use it or not i, I think we're coming up to the hour mark we've done we pretty are? well yeah great so we're going to sign off um so you can see al on um twitter at inventive al that's correct and i'm at ben Cunard. as i said before we're, sp we're sponsored by um be searchable our book written by helen and um, myself and um, just go and buy it so it's 4.99 come on um, it's good. I, I've I've spoken to one person. Uh, won't name names, um, but he he was um, very pleased with buying his copy just recently, and um, yeah, in, enjoyed it. He's um, found it very very simple to take in, very easy to easy to use. So yeah, go and have a look. There is a sample as well, so you can just download the sample if you just want to test it out first. Otherwise, that's it. Good to see you again, Al, and yeah. um, we'll catch you again next month. Indeed. Speak then, then. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>